Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Oh, Captain, my Captain. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. Let's get nuts. Tell me something, my friend. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? I always ask that of all my prey. I just like the sound of it. I'll have what she's having. You have chosen wisely. It reminds us all that once was good. And it could be again. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious... You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. Classic movies, 30 years in the making. That's right, you're listening to the... Okay, I just, I almost just went right into... You're listening to the episode 270 of the 30-something... Okay, let's start that one again. I'm not going to cut this out, but you're listening to the 30-something... Yeah. Anyway, welcome to the... 30-something movie podcast. It's episode number 270. And now, deep thoughts from the abyss with John Reed. <laughs> I'm Dr. Fraser Crane, and I'm listening. <laughs> I'm listening. I, I'm Dr. John Reed, and I'm listening. <laughs> First caller, let's have the spoiler alert. We spoil the movies we talk about, so be aware of that as you hear us talking about movies. If there's something you don't want to hear about, go ahead and hit the fast-forward button, maybe 20 or 30 seconds, on your favorite podcast-playing app. If you have not left us a review on iTunes, please do so. Five stars would be awesome. I don't know if it's if it's Fraser Crane. That might be a little bit of Dan Levitan. I'm not sure, John. You're kind of... I think it is. I I think I... think Well, is there really that much of a difference? You, You... there's a slightly more British accent, I guess. I, I can't, I can't argue with anything that's been presented from, from the Boston for, or the what? No, he was Boston first, and then he was Seattle. So whatever the Boston Seattle side of England is, then <laughs> that's apparently where Fraser comes from. <laughs> there you go. Okay. You go. Yeah, uh, and then visit our website. Let's go back to Midwest. All right, now visit our website, you guys. Uh, it's a uh, thirtypodcast.com. Over by here. Over by the or yeah, by that other podcast over there, mm-hmm. uh, don't you know? That went right into Fargo. I don't know what that was. Yeah, but, well, you know. Yeah, we we do what we can. We get a little too far. That's okay. I am I am joined tonight. First of all, I'm your host John Reed, and I am joined tonight by two men that. What can I say? Um, <laughs> there's a lot. Let's. <laughs> there's there's a lot I could say. Let's let's start with. Um, I think they both have beautiful singing voices. Wow, that's. Uh... That's saying a lot. No, you don't? Okay. I, I mean, I was just. He was a criminal yes. and a terrorist, but he had go. a wonderful singing voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I'm joined by Pat Canagallo. Whether he's got a beautiful singing voice or not, I don't know. But how are you doing? I'm Pat? doing well, John. How are you doing? Good. I'm, I'm doing all right tonight. We didn't have work today, so I'm doing uh, very well. Yes. Yes. So. It was one of those, although having to, to pull back the curtain a little bit, if you're listening to this at some other time during the year, uh, it is only mid-November and we were shoveling our driveway today oh, because we got a few inches of snow. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So yeah. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. The second snow uh, of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My mom was texting me because uh, she was on her way down to Florida. So she sent me a picture earlier that she was in, uh, she was just a little bit uh, away from Orlando and it was 80 degrees. Thanks a lot, mom. That's just awesome. So uh, the other voice you might be able to hear on there is Bo the Love Fest Warmbold. Bo, how are you doing? I'm well, John. How are you? 
Good, good. Um, so I think we're ready to talk some movies. Uh, we've got the abyss tonight. You know, we've we we did talk a little bit. And I think we had some of our uh, our listeners on Twitter kind of agreed with us as well. We've had a bit of a slog uh, through the months of let's say September and October uh, to get through some of the Halloween type movies that we had from before. So I, I think we are back full swing. Uh, we're going to end the year off with a bang. Our month our movies for November and December are pretty much all awesome. So uh, no worries about that. So if you've been if you've been listening to the podcast and you're like, uh, I just don't know. Well, never fear, intrepid listener. We feel kind of the same way. And now we are back to the good stuff. Mm -hmm. So starting with the abyss, we are back to the good stuff. It's pretty much all good from here on out as we close out 1989. Yeah, I don't have any news uh, right now, except to say that at the time of recording in just a few hours, um, Disney Plus will open up for our viewing pleasure. Um, I don't know if Jeff will be at work tomorrow. I'm assuming he will just disappear into a cave mm -hmm. as soon as that comes out. But uh, is any, are you guys uh, picking that up as soon as that comes out? Yes. Okay. Are you, are you partaking in the Disney plus? I, I am not. And I am, oh. I am not, not partaking in the Disney plus. Um, mm -hmm. But I just, uh, I'm going to kind of hold off until maybe, maybe, you know, those Mandalorian shows like really kind of build up and then I can sit there and really uh, binge through them. I'm going to, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm going to kind of wait and see on this one. I, uh, um, nothing against it, nothing, but I've just kind of got to watch how many streaming services am I paying for? And, uh, right. there are so many good shows. And as we were discussing right before we went on the air, so many good podcasts out there that, I literally, mm -hmm. and I, I came in and I, I was talking to Jeff last week uh, and I was just like, dude, I think I could get rid of my TV and just listen to podcasts and be happy. I mean, it's, Probably. it's, it's pretty amazing. So I, yeah. I am, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to let this uh, initial round kind of pass me by. Uh, I look forward to hearing about all the, you know, what the reviews and thoughts and all that are on the shows and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and I, I might decide to add it at a later date, but right now I'm going to be kind of uh holding back a little bit okay all right so I, well i'm sure i'm sure we'll be talking about it because I'm, I'm sure several of us will have it and yeah so let me ask you guys this and if i'm if i don't want to sidetrack us too much so uh don't let me but uh what are you most excited for for disney plus like what is coming out right away because i mean it's not going to be like suddenly all marvel all star wars all everything is just there or is it so what, like, what is the most exciting thing that you're really looking forward to on this? I, as I understand it, it, it is going to be pretty much everything is all there. Oh, really? Oh, okay. So it, it's just going to be a, a just a, a ton of stuff, like, on day one. I, the stuff I'm most looking forward to is the Star Wars TV stuff, like the Mandalorian, Mandalorian. and then eventually when, when the Obi-Wan show comes out mm -hmm. and um, stuff like that. So it, that's probably what I'm most looking forward to. But there's some of the other stuff, too, The um, some of the Marvel shows and and I haven't really looked up yet to see exactly what's going to be on there from day one, but there's some of the Marvel shows that, um, you know, uh, a while back I, I started watching, but didn't finish watching. And then they left whatever channel that they were on. And um, I know that there's going to be just a bunch of other stuff. Um, you know, there's some Marvel movies that I didn't buy copies of, so I don't have everything. Um, so at some point I'd, I'd like to go back and watch it, but you know, now when we get this service, I'll have all those things. Um, I, I did hear that the entire run of the Simpsons is going to be on there. Mm -hmm. It was uh, so, access for me. 
I think okay, yeah. some of the stuff that's going to be available there just isn't okay. available anywhere else and won't be because the mouse's stranglehold on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for me, it was access to some of that that I've never, as John said, got around to purchasing and owning. Yeah. Um, Cause I've been real bad about that the last few years. Like, I don't know. I think I have Iron Man and Iron Man two and the first Thor, but I haven't, purchased any of those mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I was sort of I guess I was holding out to see what streaming became before I sunk a bunch of money into these things and it well and, and at different times they were already they were already on Netflix at different times so right but the the, the constant availability is what frustrates right. me and, and right. I know the difference between a movie that came out two years ago and a movie that came out 30 years ago is different but I was kind of thinking by 2019, we wouldn't have trouble finding some of these movies, but good Lord mm-hmm. almighty. Did anyone try yeah. to watch the abyss? <laughs> mm. Right. Ah, what a bleeping nightmare. Mm-hmm. No streaming service had this movie and I looked hard. You could have yeah. rented it. I think from Amazon. Yeah. I think None it was, if you had, I want to say if you had Cinemax. Yep. Cinemax had it. I think Cinemax had it. And that was pretty much it. I found it on YouTube but it was in one of those things where it was on like a quarter of the screen and there was like a star. Yeah. Flip. I saw that one. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. I, I can't wait for it now. I wish life would just slow down a little bit so I could actually watch some of it when yeah. it first comes out, Details. but yeah, such as such is the way of the world. Right. All right. Well, we're going to jump on into, uh, we're changing things up a little bit. We're jumping into this month in 89. Uh, we're going to change it up just a little bit. What we're going to do is instead of this week in 89, we're going to cover the entire month of November. Because sometimes our weeks don't always necessarily line up with what week it might be in uh, in 1989, just with the way we do our recordings and things like that. So what we're going to do kind of going forward is each week we're going to do a different aspect of 89. So this first time around, it's news uh, from 89. And then uh, we'll do uh, like literature and movies and music one week. And then another week we'll do births and deaths. And another week we will do, uh, what was the other one I got to do? Uh, sports. I think it was one of the other ones. So we'll kind of break it up a little bit, but it'll still be the same information that you are used to getting from us, just in a slightly repackaged way. So if we hop in the DeLorean run back about 30 years to November of 1989, uh, I've got two things that I came up with as uh, kind of major news deals in 1989 that didn't fall under the kind of sports or entertainment or that kind of stuff. Uh, the more famous one of them is uh, November 9th of 1989 is the fall of the Berlin Wall. Oh, wow. So that was kind of a big deal. I mean, I, I'm, I'm assuming we remember that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was, I remember that being kind of a big deal. Um, and then the other one was November 21st was smoking was banned on most domestic airline flights in the United States. Wow. So two things. That, I mean, obviously, the, the smoking thing is now everywhere. But uh, yeah, I remember as a kid, I remember watching on TV when the Berlin Wall was coming down. Um, I think we were at my grandparents' house uh, in Texas. And I remember watching that on TV as it was happening. Yeah, and as I recall, it wasn't like this is going to be happening and we're passing legislation. And it's, I mean, I, as I recall, it was just something. And I heard some interviews from people that were in East Germany. And please, listeners or anyone, guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they were saying that it was something that it was all of a sudden, suddenly guards weren't enforcing the, and they could get closer. And then people started to mm-hmm. cross. And it was just suddenly like, okay, we're, we're done with this thing. Like it was, it was something that happened very suddenly almost you know what i'm saying yeah. I, I, 
Mm -hmm. I, uh, yeah. How, how awesome that was, huh? Yeah. So, so that's what I got for this month in 89. So let's go ahead and jump into, I don't know if we want to jump into the abyss or sink into the abyss, but, um, but that's what we're going to do. So our movie this time around is called the abyss. It came out on the 9th of August, 1989, rated PG-13 with a runtime. Well, the theatrical version was a runtime of two hours and 25 minutes. Um, I believe at least the one that I watched was the special edition that had a runtime of about two hours and 51 minutes. Mm, me too. So you got an extra roughly half hour there. Uh, director is James Cameron. He did Terminator 1 and 2, Terminator Dark Fate, Aliens, Titanic, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Producer on this one was Gail Ann Hurd, who did Terminator, Aliens, Armageddon, The Walking Dead series, and some of those the spinoffs from that, too. Writer was James Cameron. He also did True Lies and Avatar. Cinematography was done by Mikhail Salomon. He did Always, Arachnophobia, and Backdraft. Music was done by Alan Silvestri. He did Captain America, Back to the Future movies, uh, Predator, and Forrest Gump. The budget was between 43 and 47 million. The box office, 90 million. Rotten Tomatoes critics give it an 89%. Rotten Tomatoes audience gives it an 83%. IMDb gives it a 76. Letterboxd a 72. And Cinema Score an A minus. Starring Ed Harris as Bud Brigman. He was in The Truman Show, Apollo 13, and Pollock. Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio was Lindsay Brigman, uh, but don't call her Mrs. Brigman. Uh, she was in Scarface, The Color of Money, and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Michael Bean was Lieutenant Coffee. I think it's very funny that his last name is Bean and his name was Coffee. Uh, he was in Aliens, Terminator, and Tombstone. Leo Burmester, who died in 2007, was Catfish DeVries. He was in The Devil's Advocate and The Last Temptation of Christ. Todd Graff was Alan Hippie Carnes. He was in Opportunity Knocks and Strange Days. John Bedford Lloyd was Jammer Willis. He was in The Born Supremacy and Trading Places. J.C. Quinn was Sonny Dawson. He was in Maximum Overdrive and The Prophecy. Kimberly Scott was Lisa One Night Standing. She was in Flatliners and Falling Down. And Captain Kid Brewer Jr. was Lou Findler. He was in Piranha 2 The Spawning. Here is the trailer, and we'll be back in just a moment. In 1984, director James Cameron thrilled audiences with his vision of the future, The Terminator. In 1986, he created the science fiction masterpiece, Aliens. This summer, he will take you into a world no man has ever seen before. Okay, so I lied to you guys when I said that I had not seen this movie. I apparently just forgot that I had seen this movie because I was telling Bo before we started recording that uh, I was a little fuzzy on some of the stuff at the beginning of the movie. Mm -hmm. But absolutely, when we got to the moment where, um, where Lindsay and Bud are in the pod together and it's flooding with the water and she says, no, you just got to let me drown. You've got the suit. You got to let me drown. Um, then you can take me back and revive me like that whole scene where it's filling up with water and she's starting to panic at that moment. I was like, Nope, I've seen this. Mm -hmm. I vividly remember this part. And then from that moment on the rest of the movie, I was like, Oh no, I, 
I have seen this. I, I don't know why I didn't think I had, but I don't know if I was thinking of something different, but so, so yes, I had seen the abyss. Um, so this was not my first time seeing it. I don't remember when my first time seeing it was, but, uh, this was my first time remembering it. We'll put it that way. Got it. So, uh, coupled with that, when was the first time you saw this movie and how does this movie make you feel? Not the first time I saw it. Um, I love, love this movie. I always have, um, before, before there, before I, you could be Shawshanked, I could be abyssed. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. It used to run on one of the premium channels on cable all the time, HBO, Cinemax, Showtime, who knows what it was. Um, I could click around, pick this movie up anywhere, any point, and I'd put the remote down and I'd kick my feet up and go make some popcorn. Um, always loved this movie. It, it, it bordered just on the right side of horror for me where it wasn't freaking me out, even though I have a thing about dark, deep water, but yet it was still really cool science fiction. Like, I always loved this movie. So I've been thinking about this. First time I saw it, I'm going to say was early on. Now, how early on, I don't exactly recall. I don't think I went with this to, I don't think I went with my family to the theater and saw this, but I do remember seeing this with my folks. So I would say, I mean, uh, yeah, I would say, well, if it wasn't the theater, how soon did things come out on video? I would say I definitely saw it, you know, you know, if it wasn't 89, then it was 1990, you know, uh, when I saw this thing. Um, saw it early on. Most likely, if it, if it came out like in an August of 89, you, it probably was on VHS by, I would guess, spring break the next year. Yeah, and I, I, I'm guessing that's about when I saw it. Um, and I saw it with my folks and I want to say I saw it with both my folks and, um, yeah. And, and I agree with everything Bo said, you know, uh, being abyssed and yeah, just a fantastic movie. And I'll tell you, this has been the first time that I've seen it in a while. And it was like, holy cow, this is just, it's great. And I, I mean, if there's going to be a question of, does this hold up? Oh my gosh, does this hold up? It's I was a little worried the effects wouldn't because it's been so long, but you know, yeah. not bad. Not no, bad they were just fine. <laughs> no, you know what? It's almost like, and I, I know we, we've said this before, or I've said this with, with certain movies. It's kind of like um, they knew what their limitations were. So mm-hmm. they didn't, they mm-hmm. didn't, uh, you guys are the baseball fans. So tell me if I misuse this quote, they didn't swing for the fences, Right. They did exactly what they knew they could. They knew exactly what they would do to push the bounds of it. And, um, you know, James Cameron is just so good at, like, you know, getting in the sub, getting in the diving suits, getting into everything, um, that there was so much practical and real going mm-hmm. on. It, it, Not a lot of stunt people. A lot of the actors did a lot of their own stunts. Um, yeah. One of, one of the only things I was reading a story probably yesterday one of the only things that they kind of, to use your analogy, which you used perfectly, okay, um, shooting for the fences, was the water creature. Mm-hmm. And if you notice in that scene, it doesn't really advance the plot much except to show the water creature. Yes. So they shot the whole movie knowing that that scene could be removed and it wouldn't affect the movie because they weren't sure they could pull it off. That's awesome. I had heard, too, that that water creature you're talking you're not talking about the angel thing you're talking about like the little fun the little finger yeah the, 
Yeah, the finger the thing, the, yeah. the tentacle that went throughout the station or the rig. Yeah, I heard that they were kind of using that and developing that, and then that became a, like a cornerstone of the effects that they used in uh, Terminator Two. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Then I heard that correct. It was one of the first times they were able to get water to look decent in CG, and it's still hard. They still have a lot yeah. of trouble with water, especially large bodies of water. They yeah. Look good in CG. Right. But yeah, you know, you absolutely you would not have had the T one thousand if you didn't have the abyss. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll tell you this, and and uh, um, um, there's a special on the internet on YouTube because when I um. You know, when we were looking for this movie, and I, I found it up on YouTube, there's about a one-hour special. I'm about halfway through it, and it shows them building the sets and practicing mm-hmm. with the scuba gear. That's it's a cool little documentary, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, do you watch that? Yeah, I mean, it's like they, I think they bought an old nuclear reactor site or something like that, and they've, yep. I mean, it was really, I mean, it was. And the, not to spoil the, the documentary, but the funniest thing about it is for cost reasons. Yeah. The set stayed in that reactor floor until 2007. Jeez. Yeah. Because they never really? took it apart. <laughs> oh, yeah. Of course. Of course. But, I mean, it's really, it's kind of like, you know, to quote from Jurassic Park, you know, spared no expense. Right? Right. Mm-hmm. So. What's also funny about that documentary is it's also one of the only times you'll get Ed Harris or um, Mary... Elizabeth Master Antonio to talk about the movie because they had such a horrible time shooting it. Okay. Yeah. Apparently I I was reading, I I didn't watch the documentary, but I was reading a couple of other things. And I guess, you know, one of the things about James Cameron is he's kind of famous for having people work with him over and over and over again. And he said, this is one of the movies that he doesn't really want to talk that much about the abyss. It was, you know, I think he likes the movie, but it, you know, it was not, it was such a horrible experience that none of these people, except for, I think the cinematographer and Alan Silvestri, mm-hmm. no one on this movie has ever worked with him ever again, huh. I believe is what they said. And, and that, yeah, they just kind of, they refused to talk about it. I guess, you know, you had a couple of instances where in one scene, I don't know if it, Ed Harris, like Ed Harris almost drowned, almost drowned or something. Yeah, yeah. He apparently hauled off and punched him uh, once the shot was done. And, um, you know, I, I guess there was just kind of a, a series of that kind of stuff. Like it was one of the most grueling shots, these uh, shoots that these people had been on. And uh, it was not, uh, I, I think when they finally said cut, everybody just bolted for the exit. Yeah. But it doesn't show. I mean, it's you, the, the chemistry with the cast is great. The movie is great to just, you, you would never know. I, I guess that's a sign of, of, uh, of having a great crew of people actor wise and director wise and everything else is that you, you wouldn't have noticed that it was such a mess on set from the way the movie all came together. Yeah. And was it a mess or was it tension? I mean, was it, I think it was tension. I think it was grueling mm-hmm. conditions. A lot of it was yeah. shot underwater because he didn't want to do yeah. the dry for wet shooting that most people do. Um, it's some of the stuff you hear about James Cameron in general, that he's very um, singularly focused. Mm-hmm. And so maybe not, um, maybe not an actor's director. You know, he's not looking to, work five hour days he wants to work 20 hour days yeah right and right. you know 20 hours shooting underwater i don't think anybody's happy about that no. yeah no. and I was, I was, um, we kind of we honed in on the effects and 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 uh give me the cue if we're going to talk about this later but i thought the stories or I'm, I'm sorry the story was very cool but i thought the characters and the acting and just and just well i'll go back i'll loop back the characters they were all just very watchable enjoyable 
characters. I mean, they, they, it, was, it, was, it was a fun cast of people to watch. And I thought that they were able to bring that alive, whether it was the humor, whether it was the humanity. I mean, they really were just like real kind of human people without, without being characters. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, like even like the, well, we're going to get these uh, under, they were drillers, right? Weren't they underwater? Yeah, they were drilling for oil. Yeah. yeah. And it was like compared to another, you know, big budget type movie with, um, uh, what's the, what's the one that, the guy that did Pearl Harbor, uh, he did with Arm the asteroid hurtling towards Earth. Armageddon. 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 Strangely enough, Armageddon oh, yeah. is more historically accurate than Pearl Harbor was, but that's another story. <laughs> but when yeah. you look at that one and you look at those, it was kind of similar in that they, okay, they very go, much they, so. They go to this band of ruffians, but were that they were those characters were almost, you know, amped up a little bit more humor, a little bit more caricature-ish than than this. This they really they these seemed like real lived in human beings, what we were watching. Um, and I'll tell you, some of those, some of those scenes, man, I'll tell you, I mean, like, like you referenced it already when the, when the one little uh, sub was flooding and he had to swim her back and then all of a sudden mm -hmm. she starts panicking and it's just like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, I know what's going to happen. And I'm like, like, well, that's, that's kind of to the initial question. Like, how does this film make you feel? That's, that's kind of the follow-up is, well, what is it? What does it do to make you feel this way? Like, what works well about this movie um, to make you feel this way? Or, or if it, you know, if if you're feeling as negative, what didn't work? And I think what really worked about this one, we've already talked about the directing, that he obviously had that singular focus, and and he, you know, got performances out of these people uh, despite the tension and despite the conditions that they were working in. I think the story is solid. I think, but that you, you know, you talking about the acting, that part, I think the question of how does this film make you feel to me, this film makes you feel exactly what the people are feeling in this movie. And mm -hmm. I think if you can get pulled in and if you feel like you're one of the characters, I, I think we, with a lot of these, um, you know, we've had a, a couple of underwater movies lately with Leviathan and, and this one and uh, some space movies and things like that. But I think that you can feel, you feel the claustrophobia, mm. you feel the tension, you feel, um, you know, any of those scenes where, the crane comes crashing down and they start getting dragged down into the ocean or, or particularly that scene that we've referenced a couple times where she knows that she has to drown, but then, and, and, and she's resolved herself that, well, this is what we have to do. It's the only option that's available to us, but just the sheer panic that's on her face and in her voice when she's about to drown mm -hmm. is just heartbreaking. It's just, you can't help, but get sucked into that and, and forget for a few moments that, you know, you're watching an actor on screen. It, it you, it looks like you're watching a person drowning. I mean, Harris screams no, even though mm -hmm. he knew what was coming. It's right. Just, oh. And even back up to. So I, I, I think that's, I think that's one of the things that this movie does really well yeah. is that between the acting, between the directing, between the editing, between the writing, the everything, I think it ties it all together so that you feel like you're right there. This doesn't feel like I didn't feel like I was necessarily watching a movie. Yeah. I got so sucked into it that I felt like I'm right there on that rig with them. Yeah. And even tied the room together. Even even go back yes. to like the earlier stuff that wasn't quite as, you know, emotionally wrought. Yeah, even the early stuff. You mean I think you're talking about with the Russian sub and just the, the exposition that introduced us to all these characters. It starts with the Russian sub and the Navy SEALs coming down. Yeah, and, and, and like uh, pulling the ring off and chucking it yeah. in the toilet. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could see that, and then it's like, crap. 
then he's digging yeah. through the thing for it. It's just like, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, Hey bud, you know, your hands blue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, well, and, and the, I mean, some of those little moments like that, um, the one that I, the one that was just, you could, it was almost a throwaway. Like you didn't even necessarily have to have it in the movie, but it was one of those little character moments when, um, when they were taking turns, like keeping watch and some of them were sleeping where he is sleeping and snoring and she's just sitting on the end of the bed yeah. and she goes, and she goes, bud, turn on your side. Yes. And, and it's just like, I mean, I snore. So my wife tells me that a lot, um, <laughs> know. you know, but it's one of those moments where, you know, these people, they're, they're not married. They've, they've separated. Um, I don't think they're officially divorced. I think that was said a couple of times. Yeah, not final yet. Not final yet, there, but, yeah. but just the, that little character piece of, you know, he's asleep. He, he has no idea what's going on. And they have that. She says that, that there's enough of that relationship there that she can just say, bud, turn on your side. Mm-hmm. And unconsciously, literally, he turns on his side and stops snoring. And that, but I think little moments like that were just, I think it was just perfect to throw those type of things in there for the character. It does. And that tells you everything you need to know about that relationship mm-hmm. that right there. I mean, just, and the way she delivered that line, it just, that tells you exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean, that it's just, it was just so well done. Now she does also have my favorite line in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. And this is not a movie that I've watched a lot. So I, as I was watching it, I'm like, well, I, I don't know that I'm, I don't know that I'm really going to, if we talk like, you know, what's a favorite quote from the movie. I'm not sure that this one is quotable for me because I just haven't seen it that many times, but the moment she said this in the movie, I laughed out loud. I, I hadn't remembered this from before. You know how the, all the military guys, all the SEAL team guys, completely convinced that whatever these uh, NTIs are, these, these kind of <laughs> underwater UFOs, that they're Russian. Mm-hmm. And the scene immediately following when you have the water tentacle in there, mm-hmm. it show, you know, they slam the door and it kind of causes the tentacle to retreat and all that. And at the next scene, when they're all together in one of the common rooms, her line was perfect. Raise your hand if you think that was a Russian water tentacle. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that was I good. Know. That was very good. That was very good. Um, I mean, are we okay to keep talking on this track or do you have another question? No, go for it. So I kind of bumped on something and I need you guys to set me straight and I'm, sure. I'm going to borrow Jeff's thing. Well, we can. Well, and, and I just, because there was so much of this movie that, well, all of it. I mean, I love the whole thing. I mean, I, I would recommend this. Like I'm thinking like, okay, how many more, like when can Dominic be old enough to watch that? You know, like, and, and <laughs> yeah, I did, I, you know, I did I, actually tell, I'll be intrigued I told, no, I told Nora that. that once she's, I told Nora once she's a little bit, cause she loves underwater stuff. She okay. loves the idea of diving. She loves the whole science piece of it. She loves the nature piece of it. I did tell her, I said, you know, this is cause I was explaining to her what the movie was. And I said, you know, this, this kind of makes itself seem like it's a horror movie to begin with, but it's really not. Mm-hmm. It's it's really about friendly aliens and kind of making first contact with them. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what, maybe just a few years from now, maybe when you're just a little bit older, yeah. um, you know, knowing ahead of time that the aliens are friendly, that this could maybe be, this is maybe be kind of like a, a little bit slightly more adult ET. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, maybe, in a, maybe in a few years we can sit down and watch this together. Cause I really think she'd love all the underwater stuff. Yeah. But no, what was your what was it that you kind of well, bumped on? Well, Bo, uh, uh, Bo, were you going to throw something in there? I don't want to cut. No, I was actually going to say I, I'm curious to hear this conversation because for me, it definitely when I first saw it had some horror vibes to it. Yeah, and I was sort of watching it for that today, trying to figure out if it still did. And there are some spots early on where it's a little creepy. Yeah, but I couldn't decide if most of that was me because I, I think mm-hmm. like I talked about last time. 
underwater dark deep places kind of just creep me out in general yeah mm-hmm. yeah so i feel like some of it's just me yeah well it's funny because you know dominic is right on the cusp of like i mean i was about 10 or 11 when i saw this movie no i would have been 11 or 12 when i saw this movie and so dominic is right on the cusp of okay i can i think we'll start like i think back to the future is in our few you know is it anyways and daniella is like the quintessential little sister like anything you can do oh that whole anything you could do i can do better sure yeah, that is that is constant in our house um you know i think my kids maybe just a couple years a year or two older than yours but uh, it's the same dynamic of the oh so you did that and it's very well yeah and it's and it's and it's somewhat of the competition thing but it's it's very much of the i can hang you can watch dinosaurs yeah, right. two people up i can watch that you know so mm-hmm. and then i'm like okay well maybe she can but then it's like so anyways but that's a different discussion piece with it in any event it's it's very cool because there's going to be a whole host of these movies that are going to suddenly become fair game you like you guys talk about you know like the disney plus like suddenly everything's going to become available it's like Mm -hmm. i feel like with my kids it's like okay with you know we're just we're months away from watching all this together okay let me get to my point though i uh i i bumped for the first time on this thing with the depictions of the seals Mm -hmm. and the naval personnel on the submarine and i've been thinking about it all day and maybe because of what day it is it's kind of a little bit more on my mind i don't know but i get what they were going for i mean i get that it was you know um they needed an enemy right and i know that they were going for you know the military and 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 you know this is just going to be the bad guy but it, I don't know. That one, I kind of was like, I, not, I, squeamish is the wrong word, but I was a little bit like, eh, I, I, I don't know about this. And I, I think like, okay, how would I have rewritten it? And, you know, like Dennis's thing, like I'm not going to criticize it unless I think I could do something better or different or whatnot. But it was just like the, the two things that really got me is when the submarine in the beginning got buzzed by the alien. And then all of a sudden it was, they kind of did the, uh, underwater version of rubbernecking and driving off the road because suddenly their power came back on then they crashed into the thing and they were really quick trying to save the ship um and uh, uh save the boat and get it back to the surface and the captain almost looked dazed like he was kind of like he looked kind of inept and there was the one point when he looked over at who i would assume was the xo and say we're losing her kind of like well i don't know what to do next and the xo gives him a kind of a a look and I, I mean, I'm not going to pretend to say that like, okay, well, every single captain in the military knows what they're, you know, and every single person is going to respond like, you know, Bart Mancuso would in Hunt for Red October. But that was just like, okay, they, they looked a little bumbling. And then when the SEALs showed up, it was like almost, it was sort of like, you know, that over the top, like overly militaristic, like we better be lock stock and ready, you know, get whatever that you know they had some phrase that all rhymed and it was like all just like this stereotypical military talk and i i just i don't know it was kind of like i i get what they were doing and it didn't it didn't ruin the movie it's nothing like that but it was like i don't know and and to say that you had navy seal i mean navy seals are pretty highly trained dudes and i i mean yes they're human and they're failable and and i get that they needed to have this guy be this like you know unstoppable force but i don't know that that kind of 
it 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 I bumped on it. It kind of threw me back a little bit when when I saw it. Well, this time. I, I think that I think one of the one of the things that you really notice about James Cameron's movies when you think about them on the whole is that I think a lot of them are very anti-war. Mm -hmm. You know, I, th I think he's very anti-war. Uh, I think he's, I don't know if I'd say, well, I, I, he might be kind of anti-military because most of his, if you think about most of his movies, mm -hmm. the military is either, if not outright evil, the military is uh, bumbling and just clumsy enough that their actions usually cause people to get killed. Mm -hmm. um, even even if sometimes they're well-intentioned. I think I've, I've heard some people talk about aliens as kind of an allegory for the Vietnam War. Um, you know, you have, you, you really like the Marines, like they're likable characters, but at the same time, they make some really dumb mistakes. And I think you can kind of, you, you could almost take that situation and say that, you know, some of the some of the lax discipline of those Marines. Some people I know would look at some other um, movies or TV shows that have been made about the Vietnam war and say, okay, well that, you know, that's very similar in that respect. I think the abyss, you've got the same thing. Um, and I'm not, I'm not saying I agree with, with any of this or all of this, mm -hmm. but I think that you'll see in most of his movies, you know, Terminator two, the whole concept of Skynet is that it was created by the military to try to protect people. And it ended up killing us all. Um, you have the abyss, you've got, uh, avatar, um, is probably one of the biggest anti-war anti-military movies, um, of his, you know, with the whole kind of military industrial complex versus the natives. And right. I think you just kind of, you get a very strong sense that he is not a big fan of military action. Mm -hmm. Um, that every time military is depicted, it is either, either directly or indirectly the cause of a lot of trouble and a lot of death and destruction mm -hmm. and, and not in a way that's protective. Right. So I think that's, I think that's just him as a director is that that's his take on the military and that's his take on the military as an institution. I think, I think what you do see is that a lot of times the, some of the military characters, you know, it's not all a black and white, good and evil type thing. You know, you've got some that really are, decent people you've got some that are really good folks like i think of michael bean and aliens mm -hmm. you know he's a really good guy the rest of them are kind of bumbling and, and they you know screw stuff up but for the most part he's he's a stand-up guy and you know that's he's part of that but he also recognizes that well you know maybe we are some of the orders we've been given are maybe ones that we shouldn't be following and so when you get characters like that you can kind of see that i, I don't know if james cameron is I don't know quite what he's advocating. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know what, if there's a lesson that he wants us to learn, if, if there's something that he, in a way that he wants military or military type institutions to change or, or what it might be. But I think you see that from a lot of his movies is he's not a big fan of the military as an institution. Yeah. And, and I, you know, and I, I don't want to take the, I mean, I get what you're saying and I mean, I, I get it because and at least that I, I feel justified that okay i noticed something in the movie and from what you're saying it sounds like there's good cause that there could be a something in the movie about that and it's kind of like i you know you know feel free to edit this out if i'm kind of missing my ball or missing the ball or taking my eye off the ball or whatever the phrase might be but uh it's like i get it if you want to make a comment about the direction of like a government or how we use military force or whatnot. But in this, you know, 
the, the, the folks that we saw were definitely not the ones deciding on global policy. And, mm-hmm. you know, the whole thing of like, okay, we're going to pull a nuclear warhead out of the submarine and, you know, we're going to blow this thing up using the nuclear warhead. I mean, usually, you know, using nukes, that has to come all the way from the top. I mean, you know, I mean, like, so it, it just seems like in this, the, what you're demonizing, if that's the case, and I mean, obviously, we're, we're a lot of conjecture, but I'm just based on what I saw with the movie, if we're questioning the government or questioning, you know, the policy or whatnot, you know, like, I'm fine with that. But these are the guys that actually have to go out and follow the orders, whether they agree with it or not. So, and, and, and obviously, I mean, and we can look at the news. I mean, not every single person is, I'm not trying to represent that. I mean, obviously, you can have people that in every profession screw something up. But I guess mm-hmm. it was like, that's just, they needed to have like this, like almost Terminator-esque, this guy cannot be stopped and he's going crazy. And it's like, and again, it's, it's sort of like, you know, and he started getting the shakes right from the get-go. And I mean, again, right. I mean, it's like kind of like those, those seals are, they're pretty highly trained. I mean, you know, like in, as an example, like in U571, when they brought the, uh, the soldiers onto the submarine, you know, and they had, or it was, it was Marines and they had the Marines on the submarine and they were a little unsure, like, okay, well, this seems a little weird or that, you know, we're not used to this and okay. And then when the Marines had, to, you know, when they were trying to take, sorry about the spoilers for U571, mm-hmm. but when they had to take the submarine, then all of a sudden the, the, the combat Marines were like, well, this is what we're going to do. And then the sailors were like, uh, this, they were out of their comforts, you know, so that I found a little more plausible like this. I mean, this guy, you know, he's, he's the guy in charge of the Marine or the, the SEAL group that's coming down. Like he's getting the shakes in the first eight hours. Like I, 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 well, I wonder if I wonder if a piece of that is the criticism, not so much of the military, maybe, maybe including the military in this, but maybe of just the idea of blind overconfidence and blind loyalty to something. Because I, you, you do see at the very beginning there, and, and again, I'm not trying to defend James Cameron. No, please I, do, because like I said, you know, yeah. yeah, but no, I, I'm wondering if that's part of his message is because you know, they, they are the highly trained. And they said at the beginning, look, we are highly trained. We've, we've gone through this training. We're fine. And, and she's trying to point out, like, well, you don't know who this syndrome is going to hit. You know, it's one in 20 and, and it could be anybody when it happens to turn out to be the guy who's leading the whole thing. And I wonder if part of that message is, look, I, it's, it's all well and good for, you know, a military to be running an operation. And it, but if, it, if there's this blind confidence that completely ignores all of the advice that you're getting from maybe there's advice that you're getting from non-military personnel if you ignore that you do so at your peril and these other guys that are with him you know are they he's he's kind of going crazy you'd think that one of them at some point would kind of notice that and realize oh hey we gotta pull back here because lieutenant's gone a little cocoa for uh, cuckoo for cocoa puffs and um this is not good so i wonder if that's part of it too is that um you know, just kind of that idea of it's just, it's blind overconfidence. It's just, he just, we're going to charge ahead no matter what anybody says. And we're not going to listen to anybody else, even though these people who are the deep sea drillers are the experts down here, we're out of our element. Um, but we're going to just charge ahead anyway, because we know what's best. And, and then the other guys that are there with him don't question 
any of it at all. I, I wonder if that's a piece of it too. Yeah, and and again, it's like I, I've never. I mean, I am I am probably the least qualified, like you know, past commentary on like Navy SEALs. Oh, absolutely, me too. But it's kind of like that. I, I does that gel with that mindset of that? You know, like like I said, I I could have I. I would imagine them saying, okay, this guy's, yeah, if the lieutenant's gone crazy, he's confined to his quarters at this point. You know, I mean, they, and that's where, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of focusing on one small part of the movie that I just bumped on this one time. But mm -hmm. that set me that it, I didn't fight, I didn't find that quite as, as believable. Now, again, yeah. I'd like, please, listeners and radio audience, and just, I feel free to come in and tell me where I'm off base with that. But it, I, I don't know. I, I think it could have been done maybe in a, in a slightly different way. But I'm also remembering, too, when this movie came out. This was more within the generation of, like, Platoon and Full Metal Jacket than, you know, 30 years later. Well, you, I mean, you're talking, you're talking still Cold War. I mean, things are kind of winding down a little bit. But you've still got some of that paranoia. You've got the whole nuclear thing going on. You've, everybody's still paranoid about the russians and the russian water tentacles um so yeah i mean you still have you still have quite a bit of that piece in there too well and that and just in movies the the movies at that time were trying to maybe seize on a little bit more of that outlook on the military than mm -hmm. what they are right now you yeah. know what i'm saying like it, not even like the reality but just the way the portrayals in there but you know i i mean i get it like i said i mean it i you know i I don't want to go too far off and just start railing on something, but because I can't, because I love the movie, I just felt like I, I just kind of bumped on that a little bit that 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 was the portrayal of the of the, of the military. Yeah, he didn't give him he didn't give him much. He gave him that quick opportunity to say I was just following orders, but it wasn't mm -hmm. wasn't maybe as long as it needed to be. Right. Well, we gotta we gotta jump into our five questions here in just a second, but I do want to give you guys one last chance. If you've got anything else you want to say about the movie that we haven't said yet, um, we'll jump into those questions here in a second. But is there anything that we haven't said about the movie yet that you just you know all the people out there that are listening, what do you want them to know about the abyss? Love it. If you haven't seen it, go for it. It's a little long, so you know, pop some popcorn, grab a soda, and enjoy. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. Good luck. Good luck finding it streaming anywhere. But go well, get a copy. Yeah, of it. I mean. <laughs> Get your Cinemax here, I guess. I was kind of surprised that it was that difficult, but it mm -hmm. was a challenge. It's a must-watch. I think it's it's just it's just great. If you like the day the Earth stood still, the original one from from way back in the day, uh, this is a good updating of it. Yeah, I, I get like that that message at the end of the movie when you meet the aliens and you mm -hmm. you find out that they're not so happy with how we've been treating each other and treating the planet and. Um, you know, you get the sense that it's very much the, well, we can destroy you at any moment, but we're going to give you an opportunity to just um, so stop uh, sit down, <laughs> calm down, and yeah, now, shape up. Day the Earth Stood Still, that's where the, was, what was the robot? Was it, was that Gort? Gort, that was Gort, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's. The Klaatu, Klaatu, Barada, Nikto. Yeah. 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 Neck, neck, necktie, nectarine, nickel. <laughs> was definitely, definitely started with an N. Yeah. 
All right. Well, we're going to jump on into five questions. He asks each traveler five questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. You've got to ask yourself one question. What are you asking me for? I don't know. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, five questions. Question number one, what is your favorite Ed Harris role? He is an amazing actor. Uh, he's been in a lot of stuff. And um, I, this one, I, one of his chances, a lot of times he's, he's a bit of a um, supporting actor, but there are plenty of times where he leads the entire movie, and this was definitely one of them. But what's your favorite Ed Harris role in a movie that you've seen? I really like Gene Kranz in Apollo 13. Mm-hmm. I second that. I had, you know, I wrote down a couple things. I wrote down Apollo 13. Um, I wrote down The Rock. I always mm -hmm. liked his character in The Rock. Um, radio. I always thought radio was a good one with mm -hmm. uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. I, after watching this one, after I had forgotten that I had seen this movie and then watching this one again, I, I actually think I'm going to go with The Abyss. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to go with this movie because I've, I've seen a whole bunch of his other movies. Uh, Truman Show, he was great in that. Yeah. Um, but I, after watching this one again, I think I'm going to go with this one probably is my favorite. I think more contemporarily his, his, the man in black in Westworld is. See, I have not watched any of Westworld yet, so I got to get caught up on that. Very nice. Is that a, is okay. that an HBO thing? Yeah. Uh, yes. Either HBO yeah. or Showtime. I think it's HBO. Okay. I think it's HBO. Yeah. I, cause it's funny. I was looking through like all the different things Ed Harris had been in and I saw Westworld come up and I haven't watched it. And I was like, oh, I wonder if that needs to go on the list, but I'm, mm -hmm. I'm reading between the lines that yes, it does. Fantastic. The, I will say this, the first couple seasons are really good. There's a lot of scuttlebutt that the next season won't be, but we'll see. Okay. All right, question number two. What is your favorite movie alien or creature design? So we talked uh, a couple weeks ago, I think when we did Leviathan, we kind of talked about uh, favorite movie alien or monster or mutant or something like that. This one's a little bit different. I'm, I'm thinking of like, what is your favorite design for an alien? Like visually, what do you like best out of an alien or a movie creature? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give mine right now because mine is, is straight up, super simple alien. Like I have always, ever since I watched that movie for the first time, I went out and found at the local library a book of the art of H.R. Uh, Giger, the the guy who kind of did the conceptual drawings of what the alien would look like. And um, so that's mine. And, and we're asking for like, it's got to be like a creature. It We don't want like a humanoid type thing. No, you can do, you can do humanoid as long as it's an alien or creature of some kind. Okay, so I could say like a massage girl from Risa, and that would be okay? That'd be totally fine. Okay, I'm not saying I would. I'm just wondering what the parameters are. Okay, yes. Okay. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to retreat to my corner and think. So, Bo, what, 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 what do you say to this? I love my practical aliens. I'm going to go with my buddy Yoda. Nice. Outstanding. The simple, now, simple puppet. And uh, not or, to, not original, to, original puppet, episode one puppet, or digital? You know, I could go with either. The digital one has some benefit because the digital one could kick. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, um, that, that was... scene that scene in Attack of the Clones, as much as people laughed at it, I love mm-hmm. watching him just kick ass. Oh, we've um, we've been going through and to get us ready for uh, Rise of Skywalker, we've been going through and rewatching all the movies. Oh, wonderful! And and as rough as the acting is in the you know the first three, it's you get to that that scene in particular. I remember watching that one in the theater, and when Yoda just opened up and started fighting, I remember. And we told the kids, we said, "Yeah, this is when everybody started cheering." Yeah. in the movie theater and but the funny thing was too when everybody walked out of that movie i remember hearing people say where was that the whole time right like, why couldn't why couldn't stuff like that have been happening since moment one mm-hmm. in the movie like it's just crazy stuff we've never seen before right yeah, like, I, I, I remember that yeah so i'm gonna go with my buddy yoda in all his carnation incarnation nice nice John, when you watch the movies with your kids, did you go one, two, three, four, five, six, or did you do the thing where you go four, five, one, two, three, six? No, we're we're going uh, we're going chronological. So so far we've done one, two, three, and solo. So Rogue One is up next, and we're just going to go on through. Got it. Oh wow, you are like true chronological order. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, that's that's kind of exciting. As if we're in the galaxy far, far away. We're yeah. going in that chronological order. That is super exciting. And I'm, I'm going to say this. I know this is not an episode on Solo, a Star Wars story, but anybody who, and we may have some listeners who didn't like it, anybody who doesn't like that movie, uh, fight me because <laughs> we just watched it again. And I like that movie. I like that movie. I like him as Han Solo. That whole backlash that caused that movie to not do as well and then ultimately ruin the chances for having a sequel and other movies, those people should be ashamed of themselves. Mm-hmm. I really hope that they, if, if they can keep him as Han Solo, and they can get him back to do a Disney Plus uh, TV series like they're doing with Obi Wan, then go for it. I'm I'm all for it. Um, yeah, I think that's what excites me the most about Disney Plus is I have all of them on Blu-ray, the Star Wars movies. But that means I got to find my Blu-rays, and I'm not really sure where they are at the moment. So just being able to call those up on a on a snowy Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Well, I when we started a couple of weeks ago, I pulled all the Star Wars Blu-rays up from the basement, and they are stacked behind the TV right now. So they are ready to go whenever we have an extra two and a half hours in our day. Then mm. it's ready to go. It's a thing of beauty, my friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. Did we, uh, Pat? Did we get yours? Well. So other than the massage girl. And right, yeah, right. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to think of like a creature and, and all this. I'm going to take it a slightly different, um, uh, uh, slightly different. And if it doesn't quite answer the question, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll throw in like, you know, the rancor or something, but uh, I'm going to go in the Star Trek universe. I really like the whole, um, the, the, like the Klingon race the Klingon culture. And what I think was cool, and 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 De- Bo, please tell me if I've got this wrong, but I mean, obviously they were the bad guys starting all the way back in the 60s. And it was just like, you know, swarthy looking dudes with like, you know, black shirts and that weird kind of vest thing. And then as it progress- progressed, they got more and more like makeup up into the look that they had. And then when you get into Deep Space Nine, they really take a deep dive into that whole culture that whole Klingon culture. I agree that using the Klingons as a culture is a perfect way to say it because they have spent so much time over so many years building that culture that there's a lot of meat to it. And that's one of the things that Star Trek has been able to do so well because it's been around for so long as a place. Mm -hmm. They can build those cultures, which is amazing. And that's what Discovery was doing well too. 
Well, right, and that's been the interesting thing. I was afraid Discovery was going to ruin some of that, and so far, knock on wood, it's it's going strong. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It well, takes some. It, it, the first couple episodes, I'll be honest, you're like, "What have they done?" And then they bring it back around, and you you breathe okay. Yeah. <laughs> you breathe but easy. Man, those first couple episodes freak it's, the crap out of you for a minute. It's like the uh, it's like the liquid breathing apparatus. You you start to panic a little you bit. You do because you. Mm-hmm. And then you realize done? it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. What have they done? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I I won't, I don't I, I'm not going to get too long winded, but yeah, the Klingon like and just how okay the dudes walking around with swords, and then all of a sudden they developed it to the point. Well, you find out that each weapon has a place within the family history and then all of a sudden they're not just like barbarians swinging things there's actually like a whole martial arts system that surrounds it and Mm -hmm. you know they really flesh out the 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 pitfalls of that kind of a culture and where that serves them but doesn't serve them and i i just so i like the whole design of that um uh I, i would say like that would be the the alien race or group or something that uh that i find very um striking and i would say a a, a close second would be the bajorans in in deep space nine just you know because they can bring in all sorts of like okay they're refugees okay they were abused okay they're fighting back they're freedom fighters no they're terrorists um they can bring in faith and zealotry and you know that I thought that that one was cool as well, but I, I, for number one, I'd have to say the Klingons for all the things that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and a tie in with this movie is one of my, as long as we're on the Star Trek, uh, Star Trek thing that, um, Odo was always one of my favorites, um, partially because of the special effects, like all the different places he could hide and what he could do. And that kind of, you know, brings it back to, you wouldn't have an Odo if you didn't have the Russian water tentacle. Hmm. All right. Question number three. What's a real life scientific advancement you'd like to see influence the making of a sci-fi movie? So for, for a little bit of context here, uh, James Cameron apparently wrote the story of the abyss when he was about 17. Uh, as a boy, he was inspired by science fiction and real scientific developments. So you had, as he was growing up, you had NASA's Apollo program and the underwater explorations of Jacques Cousteau. So he kind of mixed those two and you got the story of the abyss and he, he kind of did that when he was a teenager. So is there something now? And this question, as I wrote this question out, I was, and I thought more about it. I was like, this is kind of tough because I feel like we're already getting a lot of, I, I feel like in some ways our fiction has finally caught up with our science fiction mm-hmm. or I mean, our scientific developments have kind of caught up with our science fiction because I mean, you see, instead of having something like a Star Trek that's showing us things way in the future that are not even imaginable now, you have stuff like Black Mirror, and they're showing you stuff, and you're going, wow, wouldn't that be creepy if that was real? And then the next day, you see a BuzzFeed article that tells you, no, that was real like eight months ago. You're right. So when I thought more about this question, I was like, you know what? I I don't even know. Like, what would be a real-life scientific advancement? that I'd want to see influence the making of a sci-fi movie. So all I came up with was artificial intelligence. Like I love the Terminator movies. Um, you know, I, all the, any of the, whether it's a, a little bit more lighthearted, like a, a short circuit or something like that, RoboCop, um, any of the stuff where it's AI and how that mixes with regular human life and organic life and all that. And, um, you know, that's, that's just, I think that's something that is always interested me. I, I, 
I didn't want to jump ahead and say like, well, anything that does time travel, I'd be good with that. Cause I don't know that right now or even in the future time travel is a possibility or something that we could have, but like, well, artificial intelligence, that's it's here and it's getting more and more advanced. So if there's a new way to present the, the fears and the debates and the hopes of artificial intelligence, like I, I could see that being a fun sci-fi movie. Mm-hmm. So from mine's a little odd, like not so much a science discovery, but science learning about the past, like some archaeological discovery that we then go back and make a movie about. So one of my favorite science fiction tropes is the alternative histories. So I love Stargate, mm-hmm. you know, an alternative yeah. explanation yeah. of how things mm-hmm. got the way they are. So some archaeological discovery that changes how we look at the past. Um, you know, whether it's the things we're learning about continents that existed and actually don't anymore because they've been completely subducted except this little bit of ocean floor between Europe and Asia. Um, things like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Lost City of Atlantis, Library of Alexandria kind of stuff. Patrick, what do you want to see in your sci-fi movie? I don't know, but... But everything you guys are talking about, I'm like excited for movies now. I mean that that all sounds really cool. I um, I, I you know what? I don't know, and I I struggle with this question too. I guess I was just gonna say something about like space exploration. You know, like they're talking about colonizing Mars, or they're talking about you know. But then as I say that, it's like, boy, that's just been so explored already in movies, right? The Martian. Um, Mission to Mars, Red Planet. Um, um, you had the one with Matthew McConaughey where he was uh, exploring the black hole. Um, uh, I can't remember what it was called. Interstellar. 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 Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and so I, I don't know. I, I, I thought I knew the answer for this that I was going to have for this, but I, I don't know what they're, they're working on now. I mean, you know, I suppose if it's something that they're developing. You know, I guess you, I guess the artificial intelligence, but they kind of already did that with iRobot, mm-hmm. right? Um, but you know, so you could take it through a different format. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Boy, that's that's a stumper because, and then I thought, okay, okay, well, let's, you know, like we talked, we referenced the, um, the movie where Klaatu and and Gort come back and you know, something like that. Like, okay, let's, let's maybe revisit like the, what happens if we discover there's aliens out there and all this kind of stuff. But even that's been, I mean, that movie's 1950s and they have that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I really, I don't know that I could, I don't know that I could come up with an idea that they haven't already, they haven't already done. Yeah. All right. Sorry. All man. right. Well, I question number, no, no, no. No, no worries. No worries. Uh, question number four. So for this movie, the cast spent about two weeks in the Cayman Islands learning to dive. Uh, if you were going to be cast in a movie, what activity would you most like to learn? Mine is super simple uh, sword fighting. Mm, good one. Because I I have, I, I bought one of those lightsabers that you can actually fight with without it breaking. Mm-hmm. And uh, it doesn't make noise, so I have to do that with my own mouth, um, which is just as much fun anyway. Sure. Mm. But uh, I, I actually have I have no coordination at all. I know those things have to be like very choreographed for them to look pretty. Uh, so I would say some sword fighting. Very. I'm cool. gonna say fly a plane. 
Okay. I don't know why I'd have to learn to do that for a movie, but that's the one. <laughs> hey, if you're going to be cast in uh, Top Gun 3, then... There you go. Top Gun 3, Topper Gun. <laughs> top Top Gunner. There top you gunner. go. Uh, the search well, for more Top Gun. The search. Live free on Top Gun. <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. Bo, I'm going to take yours, man. Or, um, I think we're on the same wavelength tonight because, yeah, man, I want to learn to fly a plane, and it's like that would be that would be the number one thing. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Nice. All right, number five. What is the most uplifting sci-fi movie you've seen? A lot of times we get the... Uh, you know, the robots are going to kill us or the uh, aliens, you know, they bleed acid and we're all going to die kind of a deal. Or, you know, human is the only true challenging prey that's left out there to be hunted. Uh, so in the vein of the abyss, what is the most uplifting sci-fi movie you feel like you've seen? They can sometimes tend to be downers. So, mm. I mean, but I feel like I feel like like classic Star Trek a lot of times. I was, was just going to say like. And, the Star Trek franchise in general, I think, le- mm-hmm. lends itself to being uplifting. I think Star Trek Four, and you know, even though we've been stupid and ruined our planet, we can still save it. Maybe. Well, much like this movie, you end up frolicking in the waves. And exactly. You know, you, everything's okay. We make some new friends with the alien mm-hmm. people who've come to right. talk to us and tell us we've done bad. Right. <laughs> the, the sky clears up, the waves recede, and we're all okay. Right. Yeah, I I think Star Trek kind of has the corner on that. And I'm gonna say, oh no, I was ahead. just gonna say, and I think it's because Star Trek, like, has always proceeded from the notion that Earth is united. You know what I'm saying? Right. And and, and even though you know we're getting into intergalactic wars with, you know, a myriad of very exciting. What was that? What was that line out of Full Metal Jacket? I you know, I, I joined to see the world and meet interesting people and then kill them. Um, but, uh, but I mean, it's sometimes it's like that with Star, with, with Star Trek, you know, because they have to have compelling plot lines and blah, 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 blah. But again, the whole thing comes from the standpoint that Earth has united. And I think when we watch that, you know, Star Trek's a fantasy world. Earth to us is real. And so to see, even though it's fantasy, but to see a, uh, something depicted where our reality is like, you know, your concerns, don't worry. We've solved those problems. We all live in harmony. We all, you know, some people, you can go vacation all over the, you know, like I, I just think that's at its core. If that's one of the building blocks, I think that's always going to have a leg up on being the optimistic look is just because we're all united. Sure. So. That's all I was going to say. Yeah. Well, I think for this one, I'm going to choose E.T. Nice. Mm-hmm. Just because, I mean, it's a little bit, you get towards the end and it's sad because he's leaving, but I think it just ends on such a high note and and everything has been resolved and there's not a whole lot of cynicism right. left at the end of that movie. It's just a, you know, it's it really boils down to a boy and his alien or an alien and his boy and they've had this adventure and they're parting as friends and beyond earth, the galaxy is a very peaceful, wondrous place. So I think just, I think the feeling you get at the end of when you finish ET, I think it's just a very uplifting sci-fi movie. I just call to say I love you.
Ed Rooney's office. Ferris Bueller's online too. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. What am I doing? I'm talking to an empty telephone. I don't understand. Because there was a dead man on the other end of this phone. Maybe. I guess you should have called. I did call earlier when using the phone. Earlier when was that? Or later when then I uh, le left a message. A message? What number did you call? Two, four, niner, five. Six, seven, eight. I can't hear you. You're trailing off. And did I catch a niner in there? Were you calling from a walkie-talkie? No, it was cordless. Mm -hmm. You know what? Don't. Not here. Not now. Okay. Bye-bye. Shoot. She knew it was me. Hey, guys. This is 30-something movie podcast superfan Jason Colvin. Uh, I want to call in today and just talk a little bit about the movie The Abyss. Uh, John, I think you mentioned that you had not seen this before. So I'm very anxious to hear what you have to say about it. Um, I think it's one of the more underappreciated movies of the 80s. Kind of got a bad rap for being expensive and maybe a little bit boring. I love it. I think it's fantastic. Um, as my good friends Tristan Martin and D. Graves know, I'm a huge James Cameron fan. So um, I'm very anxious to hear what you guys have to say about this one. Other than the ending, which is a little bit abrupt and not explained as well as it probably should be, uh, I think it's it's a classic, and I, I really like it. So, thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. Looking forward to what you got for us. Bye. All right. Well, that's going to do it for The Abyss. So uh, if you have things that you want to share, if you want to shout, if you want to look into The Abyss and have it look back to you, um, then you can call the love line and leave us a voicemail message. It's 872-356-6843. Uh, we'd love to have you call in, and we can respond back to you on a, on a later show. You can email us. You can tweet us. You can uh, send us. I still don't know what the verb is for Instagram. I should ask my child. Is it now just a gram? A is it that? Can you in, Insta us? Is that, does, that doesn't sound Because yeah, then you don't have, you've got like two vowels. The Insta us doesn't sound right. Agreed. Is it should be like instanus, instanus? In, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't anyway, know. you can do whatever you want with Instagram. I, I don't really care. Um, <laughs> but send us messages, however you want to send them, smoke signals, whatever. Uh, just you know, don't burn anything valuable. Um, our next episodes coming up will be Back to the Future 2 next week, uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and Star Trek V The Final Frontier. So, we are really looking forward to those. If you want to get ahead of the game, stallions. we are wild stallions. <laughs> Iron Maiden, excellent. Um, so if you, it's not that kind of Iron Maiden there, buddy. Nope. Um, heinous. Um, so Christmas vacation coming up in December. Say anything when Harry met Sally and Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. So we have got a blockbuster set of movies for the had. last two months of the year. But yes, absolutely, um, and some to take home too. So that's what we got coming up for the next few weeks. So join us back here next time for Back to the Future 2. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, Bo. Thank you, John. Thanks, John. And thank you all for, thank you all for listening. And so uh, we would love it if you all would be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies. And we'll see you back here next week for Back to the Future Part 2.